Uh, today is a special day for me because uh, we are concluding our series in the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark since right around Christmas time, and uh, we've been walking through that the past few months. And today is special because over the last four years, we've gone through each gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is the final one. It's the final day of this series. And it's been incredible to look at the life of Jesus and to experience who he is together and to study what it means to be a follower of Christ. And can I tell you something? This book is so precious. God's word is so precious. It's so important because it's not just an instruction manual or a history book, but it's literally God's gift to us that reveals himself to his people. Uh, and it's so important. It's so precious. And so that's why this morning we're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to study the Word of God. And we're going to see who Jesus is and the story, the, the culmination of his story in the resurrection. And, and see what it tells us about our Savior. And, and I want you to know that because this book is, is so important and so precious that I think everyone should have a copy of the Bible. And so we have some hardback Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. If you don't own a Bible this morning, take one of those. It's our gift for you. Um, I just found out some of the, the ones that you'll see in front of you. They're the black ones. They're um, ESV Bibles, and, and we purchased those about six, seven years ago now. And we purchased about 50 of them at the time, and I think there are five of them left, which is an incredible testimony. We've given away over 40 Bibles over the past few years, and we just want people to have access to the Word of God. We ordered some more, by the way, so don't feel bad if you're going to take one. There's more coming. Grab one, take one. That's our gift to you. We want you to have it, and we want you to have access to the Word of God at all times. All right, we're going to jump into the Scripture this morning in Mark 16, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. This is just after Jesus has been crucified. Uh, he was laid to rest in the tomb, and... We come to the Sunday morning, <laughs> to the, the time when the Sabbath was over. Now, Sabbath would have started on Friday evening and would have gone until Saturday evening. And so the, this is taking place the next morning, Sunday morning. Verse 1, let's read it together. It's on the screen as well if you want to follow along with your Bible. But when the Sabbath passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Now we talked about this last week that uh, Mary came and anointed Jesus with an entire bottle of perfume. And Jesus said, he, she's preparing my body for burial even before he had died. This was a common custom that they would go and do this. And so they went to go treat the body. And verse 2 tells us that very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. So these women are on the way back, are on their way to the tomb, realizing that they're going to have a problem, right? Because there's this giant rock in the way. And, and the way that this, this rock would work, it would actually require several people to move it out of the way. And they would have to have some sort of lever or something like that. Now, a few years ago, I visited uh, a place in Israel called the Garden Tomb. And uh, I think we have a picture. How we, are we, do we have a picture? Yeah, there it is. This is the Garden Tomb. 
And uh, as you can see, it was a pretty crowded that day. But you see that entrance where the guy with the red hat is walking into. Um, that was the entrance for the tomb. Now, um, some people think that this was the place where Jesus was actually laid. In fact, when they discovered this in an archaeological dig, they found this empty tomb. It dated to about the time uh, that Jesus would have been buried, but most archaeologists think the dates don't quite line up, that it would probably be one to 200 years off. Now, that might seem like a lot, but over the scope of 2,000 years, that's pretty close. And so this tomb would probably have been too old for Jesus, actually, it would have probably been a couple hundred years before he was born. And so it couldn't be his because we know from Scripture that the tomb that he was laid in was a brand new tomb. And you can see it's carved into the rock and a stone would have been placed over the entrance. And you can see in this next picture that's a little bit closer up of what that entrance looks like. Now, um, this tomb has uh, the, other, the other one. <laughs> the, the, this tomb was actually modified Not this one right here was actually modified you see this nice big square doorway it wasn't like that when they discovered it it was about half that height but there's a lot of tourists that come and so they, they cut off the top half of the doorway so that uh, big fat Americans like myself could get inside there right? <laughs> and um, inside there's actually a couple chambers and the, the first chamber has a stone bed carved inside where they would lay the body out, where they would wrap it in cloth, where they would treat it with ointments, um, like we just read about. And, and that's, that's where the body would be laid to rest. And then after about a year, they would go back into the tomb, and they would take the bones, because the body would have primarily decomposed at that point, they would take the bones, and they would place them in some sort of a vessel or an urn, and there's a second chamber, and so they would place um, these bones in that second chamber, and that way they could reuse the tomb for other family members. And then this last picture that we have to show you gives an idea of the stone and what it would have looked like. This is a different tomb that they've also discovered in an archaeological dig that would very closely represent the tomb that Jesus was laid in. And so they would carve this stone out of a disc into a disc, and they would roll it into basically a little channel that it would sit in so that it would be incredibly hard to move. You would need a couple people to leverage it open. Now, why are we talking about this this morning? I want you to understand something, that the story of Jesus is not just a mythical story, but it's rooted in history and is evidenced by historical accounts, and by archaeology. This is a real event that actually happened. I've been reading a book the past week um, uh, called The Case for Christ. Maybe you've read that before. And, and it talks about the, the historical research into the resurrection and this reporter's journey to discover if the resurrection actually happened or not. And one of the things that he says in that book is that if Jesus were just this mythical figure and, and he didn't exactly exist in history, then that's not the kind of God that he would want to serve and believe in. Can anybody agree with that this morning? Right? I don't want to serve a God that maybe existed in some form at some point. No, I want to worship the historical Jesus who literally rose from the dead, who exists in reality, who died on the cross and who rose again, whose life was real, whose death was real, 
and whose resurrection was real as well. So if we keep reading in verse 5, it says, After entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Now, we think this was an angel. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. So he probably showed him that bed inside that tomb and pointed to that. He's not here anymore. His clothes had been folded up. We learned that from the other Gospels, that they were neatly laid out on that bed. And then it says, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Jesus had been saying for weeks leading up to this point that he was going to die and that he was going to be raised again. And I'm sure his disciples were thinking, yeah, whatever, Jesus, that's crazy. And so now it's actually happening. And when he died, they were probably devastated. But now they're seeing this, they're having this moment that Jesus' words came to life. They proved to be true. Verse 8 says, And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling, and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, if you're reading along in your Bible, you might see a note inside there that says something along the lines of the, like this, that says, some of the oldest manuscripts end at verse 8. And this is true. Some of the oldest manuscripts that we have cut out these last few verses that we're about to read in just a second here. Now, I want you to know that, that even if these verses were not a part of Mark's original writing, they can still be trusted because what they say is verified by the other gospel accounts. So even if they were added in afterwards, um, even the things that Jesus says are virtually identical to what he said earlier in Luke. So we're going to keep reading and read what Mark has to say about Jesus' life. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and that he had been seen by her, they would not believe it. And after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So we see Jesus after his resurrection in this moment that should be this joyful reunion. In this moment that should be exciting. And what does he do? He rebukes his disciples. He says, because of your unbelief, because you failed to believe the women when they told you that I was risen. I told you, even before I died, that I was going to rise again. And they failed to believe him in that moment. Why is Jesus so harsh in this instance? That's the question that I was asking myself as I was reading through this. And I believe it's because faith is a big deal. 
Because belief in the Savior is a big deal. He goes on to say in verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And maybe you've heard this before, but when Adam and Eve sinned back in the Garden of Eden, the first man and the first woman, there was a separation or a barrier created between mankind and between God. I want you to just picture for a second the center of this stage. You see this, this thing behind me here. Like, Think of this as a giant cavern that separates mankind and humanity from God, from salvation. Think of that distance that's impossible for someone to span without some form of bridge. This was Jesus' message. This is what he was telling people. If you want to take a journey with me and cross from death to life, it's not going to be an easy road. But here's why it's so important. Staying on this side of the bridge, even though it might be more comfortable in that moment, is not an option. That leads to death and condemnation. That's what Jesus was saying. That's why he told his disciples, this is so important. You need to believe. You see, it might seem easier to stay over there, but ultimately that path leads to death. Now, this is not God being mean, right? This is something that, that our world thinks sometimes. It's not God picking on people who are failing to believe. It's our sin that's positioned us where we are. We are worthy of judgment. It's our sin and our failure to live up to God's standards that's placed us in a position that has condemned us. It's not God being mean or picking on us. It's our choice. It's our failure. But God, in his great mercy, extends grace to us. He offers us an opportunity to spend eternity with him. And to believe is to receive that gift. And to reject it is to choose separation from him. Let me ask you a question. If you were invited to a party by one of your friends, they said, hey, we're having a party at our house at 7 o'clock tonight. Come, have a good time. And you decide in the afternoon, ah, just, I'm not really feeling like it. I'm going to stay home. And so you're, you pull out your phone and you're flipping through Instagram later and you see your friends posting about this party and everybody looks like they're having a good time. And you start to get a little bit irritated. You're like, well, why am I not at the party? Why am I sitting here home alone? Now, we all know that it would be completely unreasonable for you to be mad at the host of the party. Right? He invited you. He asked you to come. You chose to stay home. So why do we get mad at God when he invited us to spend eternity with him and we chose to reject him? 
This is what's going on in our world right now. There are so many people that are sitting on this side of the bridge thinking that they're okay, not realizing that that's a hopeless place to be. You see, the bridge between death and life is the cross. The bridge between death and life is the cross. I want to give you a literal picture of that this morning. We already said one side represents death and one represents life. And this cross spans the distance. It creates a bridge that that leads us to the hope that's in Christ. And faith is the process of walking across that bridge. Now, there's a problem, though, right? There's, There's nothing here. How's somebody going to walk across this bridge that doesn't exist? Like, there's a support, but there's nothing to walk on at this point. Like, maybe you could do a balancing act. Um, Anybody want to try that this morning, (laughs) right? You know, I I actually, I am going to have somebody try that this morning. In fact, I'm going to have Kayla come on up here. Now, Kayla is my daughter, in case you don't know this, and I'm going to have her help me. So why don't you just climb up there and get ready to walk across this bridge? So I already said faith is the process. Go ahead. No, just kidding. (laughs) Faith is the process of walking across the bridge. Now, I want you to understand something. Faith is not a moment, okay? By saying, I'm placing my trust in Jesus in a moment, that is not the entire journey that leads you to Christ. That's the first step on the journey. Your journey is your entire lifetime of walking in faith. This is a commitment. This is serious. This is something that has to last. And the length of your bridge might vary a little bit. You remember the story of Jesus as he's, as he's on the cross and the thief next to him, he's having a conversation with that thief and, and, and that man repented in that moment and Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. His bridge was one day. Think about that. Now I've lived about, I'm, I'm a few years older than this now, but maybe the, the last 35 years of my life as a follower of Christ. My bridge has already been 35 years long, and whatever God gives me going forward, hopefully, you know, two or three years at least, you know. (laughs) But like, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm part of this faith journey. I'm walking with Christ. And you look at this bridge, and there's nothing to walk on that we can see. But Hebrews 11.1 tells us this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Kayla, you're going to walk across this bridge, but we're not going to let you see. Put that on for me. Now, I said that, that this process of making a decision, making a commitment to Christ... Um, is the starting point. 
is the initial step on this faith journey. In fact, Romans 10.9 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, believing in your heart is the decision that you need to cross that bridge. But confessing with your mouth is the process of taking a step on that journey. It's both. It's not just believing. It's not just inside your head and inside your heart that ultimately starts you on this journey of faith. It's also confessing with your mouth. It's taking an actual step. Now, Kayla, are you a little nervous right now? <laughs> she looks a little nervous. But watch this, watch this. Kayla, you know that I love you, right? You think that was a test? Try this one. Do you believe that I, as your father, would never intentionally hurt you? <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's, here's, here's where we're going to find out if this illustration works or not. Kayla, if you trust me, take a step. Now, here's, here's the incredible thing. I mentioned that faith is a journey that lasts your whole lifetime. And that that step is the beginning of the process. But here's the deal. Once you're on the bridge, you're saved. Right? Once you're on the bridge, you're saved. If something were to happen to you, the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ and confess with your mouth that, and believe in your heart that he's raised him from the dead, you will be saved in that moment. There's no waiting for spiritual maturity to happen. You don't have to read a certain amount of Bible verses. You don't have to say the right prayers. You don't have to do all these different things in this process. Once you believe and confess, you're on the bridge. You're saved. You can have hope in that moment. But like I mentioned, it's not just one step. The call to a faith journey is also the call to repentance. It's the call to leave your old life behind and to follow Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us this. These were Jesus' words himself. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said that, by the way, before he went to the cross. Right? This was a prediction. This was him um, foreshadowing what would happen. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a call to keep moving forward. Okay, let's save. Take another step. I don't know if you're trusting me yet. Maybe we'll get there. Now, not only is it a call to repentance, 
but it's a call to keep moving forward. There's no turning back once you've decided to follow Christ. Now, here's the deal. When you choose to follow Christ, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from making mistakes and from sinning. In fact, on this journey at times, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall. We might even take a backward step or two. But once you get on the bridge, there's no getting off the bridge when you don't feel like it anymore. Right? This is the decision to follow Christ for the rest of your life. And that's why we need his word. That's why this is so important. In fact, Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This right here gives us confidence to take that next step. Go ahead, Kayla, take another one. Oh, we're getting a little more confident, right? You know, God gives us his word, and that's so critically important. But he doesn't just give us his word. He also gives us his Holy Spirit. And that's important because that's what gives us confidence. In fact, in those moments where we're not necessarily feeling like moving forward, that's when we need to lean on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does several things for us. First of all, it's, Scripture tells us that he convicts us of our sin. So when we have something going on in our life that isn't right, that isn't honoring to the Lord, he can redirect us and point us towards Christ. The Holy Spirit also gives us guidance. If you're struggling with knowing what to do, knowing where to go with your life, you can ask the Holy Spirit, and he will help you. Holy Spirit is also our comforter. Those moments where we're struggling to believe, where we're wrestling with pain or hurt, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and brings us peace. It's almost like someone taking our hand, saying, take another step. Right? That's easier, right? It's easier when you have that confidence of somebody being there with you. But here's the thing. Even though it gets easier over time, even though you see the faithfulness of God in the journey of your life, you don't get to take the blindfold off. Right? Go ahead and take a little step forward there. Yeah. See, each step on the journey of life is an exercise of faith. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, you need faith to keep moving forward. Kayla, go ahead and take one more step. Now, when you reach the end of your journey, it's not the end. This is the incredible thing. You see, we take the bridge from death to life. There's a goal. We want to get to the other side. And faith is the process of walking across that bridge. Like I said, death is not the end for the believer. Death is not the final step. It's the removal of the blindfold. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's an incredible promise. Now, Kayla, I want you to take off that blindfold and look at where you've come. Right? You made it. <laughs> Despite your fear. You know, when I come to the end of my life, I'm confident of this. I'm going to be able to look back on my life and see that my Savior was with me the entire way. That's the hope. That he led me with his voice. That he guided me with his word. That he held my hand with his Holy Spirit. Thanks, Kayla. You can come on down. Let's give her a hand. You know, here's the deal. If you're still on that side of the bridge, there's no future where you're at. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you've committed your life to him. But you know many people in your life that are still on the other side of that bridge. Maybe at some point in your life you had made a decision to follow Christ and you were on that journey with him. And then something happened inside of you, something changed the way that you felt. Maybe you were wrestling with doubt or with fear. Maybe you were tempted by things that, that distracted you from God's purpose in your life, and you made a decision to get off that bridge. Listen, there's no future on that side of the bridge, but there is hope. We just read it in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, who Jesus is, that you will be saved. There's power in his resurrection. This is not a, a fairy tale. This is not a story that, that we tell kids to, like, like, you know, some other fairy tale that they might read about. This is reality. This is historical. This was a moment that changed history for all of humanity. And the invitation to you today is the same that Jesus gave to his disciples. If you place your faith in me, there's hope. There's life. See, on this side, there's condemnation. But on this side, there's eternity with God. Do you want to be a part of the party? Or do you want to stay home? I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart and made the decision to follow him. Today could be that day for you. That opportunity is available. That door is open for you. Maybe you've made that decision in the past, but you've wandered away from him. And today you want to make a decision to get back on the bridge, to start walking with Christ again. This is for you. Jesus' death and resurrection 
was for the world, but it's also personal. Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. He died so that you could be forgiven. In fact, if you read John 17 sometime, it's Jesus praying to the Father. You know what he prays? Prays that his people could be one with him just as he and the Father are one. His invitation is to his family. You know, what's incredible is I used Kayla for this illustration this morning because I was asking my daughter to do that. Would you choose to believe in Jesus and place your trust in him? The Bible tells us that he adopts you into his family. It's not some random person inviting you on a journey with him. It's your loving father who cares more about you than any person ever has. So as we close this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me, and, and we're all going to pray it together. And maybe this is the first time you've ever said a prayer like this. And I'd invite you in this moment to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. And that this day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we can celebrate the resurrection of your life as well. Of someone moving from death to life. Can we stand together in this place? And I ask that you just repeat this prayer after me. Father, I give you my life. I've tried to do it my own way and fallen short. I admit that I'm a sinner and I need your grace. So today, I place my faith and my trust in Jesus. Today, I choose to follow him, to walk the bridge of faith. Today, I repent and I choose to follow Jesus. Come into my heart and make me a new creation. Now, Scripture tells us that when somebody makes that decision to follow Christ, that all of heaven celebrates. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, heaven is celebrating with you. Now, I mentioned earlier that part of this process is believing in your heart, but it's also confessing with your mouth. So we wanted you to take a step this morning. If you prayed that prayer, either for the first time or to get back into alignment with what God wants for your life, that we want you to tell somebody about it. We want you to share that with somebody. And so we have some friends here that are willing to spend some time with you and hear your story and pray with you. And so I asked some people that would be willing to do that. If you would just raise up your hand right now so that we can see you. And if, as we sing this next song, 
you would like to step out and find one of them and pray with them, they'd be happy to pray with you this morning to share a little bit more about what life with Christ could possibly look like and, and help you start on that journey. And so as we sing together, would you step out, find one of them, and share that with them this morning as we worship the Lord together?